man once, once came to Jesus and asked him, what's the most important verse in the Bible? And Jesus' answer summarized the whole Bible. It's like the cliff notes of Christianity. Jesus said, you shall love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole essence of Christianity. And what Jesus was saying is that nothing matters more than relationships. Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And that's why the fruit of the Spirit is so important because the fruit of the Spirit lays out the ingredients of relationships. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul talks about the deeds of the flesh and he says they are immorality, impurity, sensuality, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies. What he's saying is the things that my flesh produce, the things that are produced by my self-centered nature divide and destroy relationships. And in contrast to that, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In contrast to that, what is produced in my life by the Spirit of God restores and unites and builds and sustains relationships. And this morning, we're going to talk about the characteristic that is right in the center of the list of the fruit of the Spirit and ought to be right in the center of your life, and that is kindness. When General Robert E. Lee retired from the military, he became the president of Washington and Lee University. People came to him and asked him for a list of the rules of the university. He said, we don't have a list of rules at our university. He said, what do you mean? You have no rules at your university? He said, I didn't say we have no rules. We just don't have a list of rules. We have one rule, and that is the rule of kindness. And if if everyone will follow the rule of kindness, every problem will take care of itself. You see, he understood that kindness is the key to right relationships. Now, unfortunately, we live in a society where where kindness is becoming an increasingly rare, rare commodity. In a recent poll, 89% said that rudeness and unkindness has become a major problem in America. And more than three out of four said it's gotten worse in the last 10 years. The front page of a recent USA Today made this observation. A surly driver cuts into your lane. Your teenager brings home a CD with lewd, hostile lyrics. A political candidate in a TV ad morphs into a convicted murderer. A star baseball player spits in the face of an umpire. A radio talk show jockey insults the president while in his presence. It is impossible to ignore 
the growing rudeness, even harshness of American life. Or as someone has said, we have become a society in which the milk of human kindness has curdled. What is kindness? The Greek word for kindness is krestos. It primarily means to be useful, to be helpful. It's a very practical word. It's just to to help somebody else, to, to provide for them what they need. But it's got an additional angle to it. It's also the word Jesus used in Matthew 11.30 when he said, My yoke is easy. When I yoke myself to Jesus, what do I find out? It's comfortable. It, it fits just right. It's light. It's easy. And so he says kindness is being helpful to others in a way that it's easy and it's comfortable for them. But it's also the word Jesus used in Luke 5.39 to describe aged wine. How do we describe good wine? We say it's refreshing, it's relaxing, it's mellow, it's warm, it's soothing, it's comforting. So kindness is to help somebody else out in a way that is comfortable for them, soothing for them, relaxing for them. So kindness is an attractive quality. When you show kindness to someone else, they should be saying, that fit just right. And that hit the spot. Now, I simply this morning want to look at five things about kindness. Number one is the example of kindness. Where do we find the example of kindness? That's easy. We find it in God. Psalm 117.2 says, His loving kindness is great toward us. God is kind toward us in great ways. So let me mention four ways he's kind to us. Number one, God's kindness provided our salvation. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Those are our relationships. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. It was the kindness of God that gave us what we needed more than anything else, salvation. Now, how much kindness did that involve? Did God just sprinkle a little kindness out of heaven when he provided your salvation? No. When God showed kindness, he went all the way. And that's why this passage says, when the kindness of God appeared, he, personal pronoun, he saved us. How did the kindness of God appear? It appeared in a person. Jesus is the personification of the kindness of God. God's kindness provided our salvation. Secondly, God's kindness draws us to salvation. Romans 2.4 says, The kindness of God leads you to repentance. 
When you think about your testimony or we think about the testimony we heard this morning of the way God drew Angela to himself, you think about that and you go, well, why did those people come into my life at just the right moment? And why did the circumstances play out the way they did in my life that led me to the Lord Jesus? Well, that is the kindness of God drawing you to himself. You see, God not only provides your salvation by his kindness, he draws you to salvation by his kindness. And then thirdly, God's kindness motivates us to grow in our salvation. He provides it, he draws you to it, and he grows you in it by his kindness. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted what? The kindness of the Lord. When we're at the senior fish fry and my wife comes to the table and says, taste this. It's June Thurman's apple pie. And I taste it. I don't think to myself, you know, I need to get home and get some of those stale store-bought cookies we've got in the pantry. No. When I taste June Thurman's apple pie, I get up and I go to the dessert table and I elbow Bob Hamill out of the way and I get that piece of pie and I bring it back. Why? Because I have tasted the apple. My appetite is now for apple pie. And God is saying when you've tasted his kindness, you don't want to turn around and go back to malice. You don't want to go back to guile. You don't want to go back to hypocrisy and say, boy, I want to taste some of that again. When you have tasted the kindness of God, like Angela said, you come to the Word of God and you devour the flavor-filled kindness found in His Word. And then fourthly, God's kindness brings about the completion of our salvation. In Ephesians 2.7, it says this about our future. It says, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You ever wonder what heaven's going to be like? Well, Paul tells us something about it here. He says, we're going to spend eternity having God show us the surpassing riches of his grace. And how's he going to show us the surpassing riches of his grace? Is he going to draw it on a chalkboard? Is he going to take us to a big vault and open it and say, there it is, but don't touch it? No, he's going to show us the surpassing riches of his grace toward us. He's going to shower it on us. Usually we think about grace as something past tense. I needed that when I got saved. If you think of grace that way, you don't understand grace. Because Paul says, in the ages to come, 
God's going to continue to shower his grace on you and me so that we understand it more and more. And when will we fully understand it? Never. Because it's surpassing riches of grace. It's limitless grace, which tells me there are going to be ages and ages of ages in the future. And the first age, God's going to say, step into this age, and I'm going to shower a bunch of my grace on you. And when you get a little grasp of what that is, we'll move to the next age, and I'll show you more of my grace. And it will be showered on you. And we will never get to the end of his grace because we cannot, because he's a limitless God with limitless grace. And why is he going to do that for you? That little phrase in the verse says, in kindness. So the example of kindness is God. By his kindness, he saved you. By his kindness, he attracted you to salvation. By his kindness, he is sanctifying you. And by his kindness, he will shower his grace on you throughout eternity. And it's important for you to understand that because the simplest definition of kindness is this. Kindness is treating others the way God has treated you. That's the example of kindness. Second, the expression of kindness. Mark Twain once said, kindness is a language that even the deaf can hear and the blind can read. Kindness is not confusing. Kindness is not hard to interpret. And let me suggest to you there are three ways that we express kindness, communicate kindness. Number one is by our words. It says this of an excellent wife in Proverbs 31:26, "The law of kindness is on her tongue. Kindness controls everything she says. Do you express kindness in the words that you say? Heard about a fellow who was away from his family on a trip. He'd been gone for a while. He was feeling kind of lonely, so he went to a little diner to eat. And the waitress said, well, what can I get you? And he said, I want some lasagna and a few kind words. The waitress went away. She soon returned with the lasagna and just dropped it down in front of him and started to walk away. And he said, what about the kind words? And she leaned over and whispered, don't eat the lasagna. (laughs) Mamie Adams always went to the same branch post office in her little town because the postal employees there were friendly. One day just before Christmas, she needed to buy some stamps, so she went and the lines were especially long, and so she was at the back of the line waiting And someone asked her what she needed, and she said, I need some stamps. And they said, well, you know, you don't have to wait in line because there's a stamp machine in the lobby. I know, said Mamie, but the machine won't ask me about my arthritis. Kindness is expressed through words. One of my favorite stories is by Mary Ann Bird in The Whisper Test. And she said this, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. 
When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I would tell them I had fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade who we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back. It was usually something like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. What have you said lately? to your husband or your wife or your kids, your family, your friend? What have you said lately that has changed somebody's life? Words are expressed. Our kindness is expressed through our words. Secondly, kindness is expressed through our touch. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1, it says this about Jesus. When he'd come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and bowed down to him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, a leper was isolated from everyone else. He lived outside the city. He couldn't come into town. And when anybody came near a leper, he had to cover his mouth and shout, unclean, unclean. A leper was someone who was isolated. And so when Jesus healed this man, he could have chosen to heal him with just a word. He could have chosen to say, go to the pool and dip yourself and you'll be clean. He could have just said, your faith has made you well, go your way. But you know what it says? The leper said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And it says, in stretching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. What did that touch say to that man? It was an expression of kindness. Dr. Paul Brand, a specialist in leprosy, was in India once and they brought to him a young man in his 20s who was eaten up with leprosy. Didn't take Dr. Brand to figure out what the problem was, very, very long to figure out what the problem was, but uh, he wanted to tell the young man how he was going to try to treat him. And so he reached out and put his hands on his shoulders and began to talk to him through an interpreter, and the, the boy immediately broke down and began to cry. 
And Dr. Brand turned to the interpreter and said, did I say something wrong? And the interpreter said, no, you didn't say anything wrong. You touched him. And he hasn't been touched in over 20 years. We express kindness in our words. We express kindness in our touch. Some of you parents, some of you dads especially, your kids get to a certain age and they're too big to be hugged anymore. Hug them anyway because they need it. Maybe they get to that stage where you can't hug them in front of their kids, but hug them at home. You know, Sit and watch a movie. Put your arm around your son. Touch means a lot. We've got widows in this church who come here every Sunday. They don't get too many hugs. So you have the opportunity to see them on a Sunday morning and give them something they may need more than anything else, which is an expression of kindness in your touch. Third way to express kindness is in actions. Tony Campolo tells of an incident that happened to him once. He was headed to work along his usual route when he, where he often passed a number of transient people and occasionally they would blurt out the usual panhandling request for money and generally he ignored them. One day, a bag lady whom he had seen often before in his mad dash down the sidewalk came along holding a steaming cup of coffee from a local donut shop. Their eyes met, he forced a smile. She stopped, put down her disheveled coat and bags, and said, hey, mister, would you like a sip of my coffee? Well, he walked past her, but suddenly stopped in his tracks and turned around on that frosty morning, walked back to her and said, yes, I would like a taste of your coffee. She stuck out her dirtied hand to him, and he swallowed a sip of her coffee. Isn't it good, she inquired. Yeah, this is good, and thank you. You're welcome. And as he turned to go, he, he asked, say, why did you offer me your coffee? And she said, because it was so good, I thought someone else might like to share it with me. That's what kindness is. When something is so good, you just have to share it with someone else. Or the flip side of that is, it's sharing the burdens that someone else is carrying. Kindness is when you give to someone in need, lend to a neighbor, telephone someone who's in sorrow or write them a note, visit the sick or the aged, befriend a lonely person, lend a hand to an exhausted friend, Child author and lecturer Leo Buscaglia was once asked to judge a contest designed to find the most caring child. The winner was a four-year-old whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had just lost his wife. This little boy saw his neighbor crying and went into his yard, walked over to him and climbed up on his lap. 
When he eventually came home to his mother, his mother asked him what he said to the neighbor. And the little boy said, nothing. I just helped him cry. Kindness is expressed in words, in a touch, in our actions. And then thirdly, I want us to look at the extent of kindness. How far does kindness go? Sometimes we think we have kindness in our lives, but we're very selective on how we show kindness. To whom and how we show kindness. So I want you to understand the extent of kindness this morning. And this may stretch some of you to extend yourselves into areas you haven't extended yourselves before. And I want to mention two particularly. Number one, kindness forgives. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Can I ask you a personal question? Is there someone in your life that has hurt you to the point where you say, I could never forgive him. I could never forgive her. If so, then you don't understand the extent of kindness. Because in order to understand the extent of kindness, we just have to look at what God has done for us. And he has forgiven us all our sins. And the Bible simply says, what God has done for you and me, we are to do for others in terms of kindness. Kindness forgives. Kindness doesn't rub it in. Kindness rubs it out. Second extent of kindness I want to share with you is that kindness confronts. It forgives and it confronts. Listen to Psalm 141.5. Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. It is oil upon the head. Sometimes the kindest thing you can do for someone is to tell them the truth. Rod Christ is my doctor. If I went to see Rod and he took an x-ray and he found there was a tumor in my body, and he said to himself, you know, I really like Dan. And I hate for him to hear bad news, so I think I'll just tell him he's fine. Would he be kind? No. See, the kindest thing he could do for me in that situation is tell me the truth about the tumor and schedule surgery. The same is true of spiritual tumors in our lives. You see, kindness is not just mushy sentimentalism. Kindness doesn't live under the popular banner today of tolerance. Kindness is not simply giving people what they want. It is giving them what they need. And we find God doing that when he treated us that way. It says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. 
What is repentance? It is a 180-degree turnaround. Repentance is to change. You see, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you just the way you are. He meets you in your condition. He loves you that way. And he loves you in his kindness to bring you to the person that he wants you to be. So out of kindness, a real friend will level with you. Out of kindness, a real friend will confront you. A real friend says, I'm not going to stand by in silence and see you make the dumbest decision of your life. A real friend walks in when other people walk out. That's the extent of kindness. It's willing to forgive the biggest sins and it's willing to confront the smallest sins. Fourth is the excuses of kindness. And this one's real simple because there are no excuses for not showing kindness. In fact, let me show you an example. Look at Mark chapter 1 real quick. Mark chapter 1, verse 33 of chapter 1 tells us the whole city was at the door of the house where Jesus was. They were just flooding the house because they had sick people who wanted to be healed. And so Jesus gets up early in the morning and he goes out to pray and the disciples come out and find him and tell him, you've got to come back to the house because everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says this in verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Jesus says, I have a priority, and that is to preach. I I can heal all these sick people, but that's temporary. I have the words of eternal life, and I need to share that message with people because that's eternal. So Jesus says, I have a higher calling. i got to preach, and i got to go elsewhere to preach. And then I love what happens in verse 40. It says, And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Did Jesus have an excuse? Absolutely. i got to go preach. I left a house full of sick people behind, and here's this leper saying, I want to be healed. Jesus had an excuse, but what did he do in verse 41? Moved with compassion... Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. There's the touch of kindness. And he said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. If anybody had an excuse not to show kindness, it was Jesus. But kindness has no excuses. And so moved with compassion, he healed that man. Look at chapter 3 of Mark. Verse 1 says, He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They, the Jewish leaders, were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. Now, they set a trap for Jesus, and the bait that they set for him was a needy man. Isn't that interesting? If we set bait in the trap and the bait is a man with a need, we know that Jesus will be attracted to that man with a need. Probably date myself, but I used to like the show TV bloopers and practical jokes. 
Um, I don't know how many years ago that went off, but there may be reruns out there. I don't know. But I was watching it one time, and they had this girl where, where they set up an appointment. They said, we're going to meet you at this ice cream shop. And she went to the ice cream shop, and, of course, they had the cameras all set up. And she was early, or they were late, but she came in, and she was the only person in the ice cream shop. And she's sitting there, and the guy running the ice cream thing, they had like a, a conveyor belt coming out. And they had ice cream just coming out of the back on this conveyor belt, too many for him to handle. And he was trying to put them in a box, and they were falling on the floor, and, and the ice cream was coming out. And this girl jumps up tries to help him, and in the process gets ice cream all over herself, and then they make it real funny, and they all come in and say, we got you, you know. And they ask the girl who set up the trap, how did you know that she would jump up and help this guy? And she responded, because she always jumps in and helps people who have a need. Let me ask you a question. If I was going to set a trap for you and the bait was a needy person, how sure could I be that you were going to be attracted to that need? A lot of us are back on the excuses. I'm busy. I don't have time. I'm moving on. Here's a letter from a nurse named Kathy Cooksey. She said, during my second month of nursing school, our professor gave us a pop quiz. I was a conscientious student and had breezed through the questions until I read the last one. What is the first name of the woman who cleans the school? Surely this was some kind of joke. I had seen the cleaning woman several times. She was tall, dark-haired, in her mid-50s. But how would I know her name? I handed in my paper, leaving the last question blank. Before class ended, one student asked if the last question would count toward our quiz grade. Absolutely, said the professor. In your careers, you will meet many people. All of them are significant. They deserve your attention and they deserve your care. Even if all you do is smile and say hello. I have never forgotten that lesson. I also learned her name was Dorothy. Kindness makes no excuses. Proverbs 3.3 says, Do not let kindness leave you. Bind it around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Several years ago, I heard about a young man who went on a short-term mission trip to Haiti. He was an amateur photographer, and so he was really excited about capturing pictures of the trip. He was always looking for just the perfect shot to sort of capture the whole essence of Haiti. One day, he was walking down the street, and he saw a little boy who was obviously a street person, dressed in the rags of poverty, and the little boy approached a bakery And he walked up to the bakery window and he put his hands beside his face to keep the glare off and he stared at the pastry and the breads on the counter just inside. This young man saw him and knew he had his picture so he went inside the bakery with the baked goods in the foreground and this little boy in the background and he took a picture of him. He got back 
to the United States, he got the opportunity one Sunday night to present his pictures to the congregation. We're going through the pictures, and he prefaced this picture by saying, this is my favorite one. When he put the picture up of the little boy staring through the window at the bakery goods, everybody in the audience went, oh. One man in the back raised his hand and said, what did you do? He said, well, I knew there was a lot of backlight. So I adjusted the shutter speed so I could get it just right. And the man interrupted and said, I'm not talking about the picture. I don't care about the picture. What did you do for that little boy? And he had no answer. There are no excuses for not being kind. And if you're honest with yourself today, a lot of times we make excuses and we accept our excuses. We justify our excuses. We say, I'm busy today. I got a lot on my plate. I've done a lot of kindness in the past, so I don't have to. Whatever your excuse is, when it comes to kindness, there are no excuses. We need to grab every opportunity. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, You cannot do a kindness too soon, for you will never know when it will be too late. Finally, the expectation of kindness. Let me tell you two things you can expect when you're kind. Number one, the cost will be great. The cost will be great. You can't go into this like the guy who was coming back from a business trip. You've been away for a while and decided he needed to do something nice for his wife, so he went in the department store and told the lady at the cosmetics counter, I'd like to buy some perfume for my wife. And so the lady came out with a $50 bottle of perfume, and he said, that's a little steep. So she went back and brought out a $35. dollar vase, what do you call those things, vial, canister, jug. He said, that's a little too high too, so she goes back and she brings back a $15 little tiny thing of perfume and he goes, "Uh, I hate to say this, but can you show me something cheaper? So she reached under the counter and handed him a mirror. Let me tell you up front, kindness will cost you. And let me show you a verse on this. This is a great verse. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35. Luke 6, 35. Jesus is speaking. It says, but love your enemies... And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. 
God not only shows kindness to, to people who don't deserve it, he shows kindness to people who aren't even thankful for it. And he says, you're to be kind to the same kind of people. So when you are kind to the same kind of people, what does Jesus say you can expect in return? Nothing. Nothing. Kindness will cost you. Humanly speaking, it's a losing proposition. Because God doesn't tell you just to be kind to the people who are probably going to be kind back to you. He tells you to be kind to your enemies. The ones who probably don't deserve it and certainly aren't going to be thankful for it. So it's going to cost you a great amount. And secondly, the rewards will be great. You see what else Jesus says in Luke 6.35? You're to expect nothing in return. And then he turns around and says, your, resort, your reward will be, that's future tense, your reward will be great. God has promised great reward to those who show kindness. One day, Mother Teresa was in Calcutta caring for a leper whose nose had been eaten off by the disease. And as she was changing the bandage on the man's nose, an American tourist walked by and observed the scene. It didn't take him long to cringe at what he saw because when she removed the wrappings, it revealed that where he once had a nose, he now had a gaping, infected hole. And this American tourist could smell the awful stench of the eaten skin. And he could see the contagious blood running down onto her hands. After a few minutes, he leaned down and he said to Mother Teresa, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she looked up and said, I wouldn't either. The reward for kindness is much greater than that. In fact, I find it interesting that in Matthew 25, Jesus indicates that the issue at the time of judgment is going to be how you treated other people. Jesus is going to say, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And when we ask how we did that, he's going to say, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Kindness is not a minor issue. It is at the heart of Christianity because relationships matter. That's why Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We're going to close our service today by reminding ourselves what kindness cost God. It cost him his only son. 
who he sacrificed on the cross for you and me. That's the kindness of God providing our salvation. If you're here as a visitor today, you're welcome to partake if you know the Lord personally. But I would ask all of us, before we come and take the bread and the cup, as the Bible says, we're to examine ourselves. And I would ask you specifically to examine yourself in this area of kindness. Am I a person who expresses kindness? Am I a person who treats other people the way God has treated me? Am I a person who has freely forgiven others the way God has forgiven me? And am I a person who is willing to pay whatever price it takes to express the kindness of God horizontally because I've received it vertically? Let's give thanks together. Father, thank you today that your kindness is great toward us. Lord, thank you that you love undeserving and unthankful people. Lord, today as we reflect on what you've done for us through the cross, given us salvation that we don't deserve, I pray that you would draw out of our hearts thankfulness to you. And Father, you would also draw out of our hearts a response that mimics your response to us, that as you laid down your life for us, that we would lay down our lives before you. And allow you by your spirit to produce your fruit in our lives. The center of that fruit being kindness. Father, I pray today as we take the bread and the cup that you would challenge our hearts. And allow us to surrender all to you. So that you might live your life and shine your light through us for your glory. In Jesus' name.